On Monday night of May 25th, George Floyd was murdered by the Minneapolis Police Department. A video released by witnesses showed Mr. Floyd pleading for an officer to remove his knee from his neck as he tells him that he cannot breathe. Mr. Floyd was reported dead at the hospital. We at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club send our condolences to the George Floyd's family. Before we start our show, we want to take a moment of silence to honor Mr. George Floyd. Thank you. On this episode of Forks and Fangs, we sit down to discuss the film I Am Not Your Negro, based on the writings of James Baldwin. This film, directed by Raoul Peck, highlights Baldwin's unpublished work that focus on the lives and deaths of his friends, Megger Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King. So don't go away. Welcome to Forks and Fangs. I'm your host, Veronica. And my name is Denny. Welcome back to our beloved show. And today, our episode is called Tiny Bites. <laughs> we On... would never not laugh when we say that. I love that. I, I think it's the cutest thing. <laughs> so this particular episode of our segment, Tiny Bites, is one that we dedicate to reviewing movies that um that's based on books written by people of color or have lead characters that are people of color. Yes. But they're always based on a book. Mm-hmm. Um so today in honor of Pride. Yes. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride. To, shout out to all the LGBTQ fam out there. Yes. Um in honor of Pride, we watched I Am Not Your Negro. Uh, is a film based on the life of James Baldwin and a um, a manuscript that he was writing up until 1987 before his passing. Um, there were only 30 pages um, that was found in regards to this manuscript. And um, it was then taken along with some other published works of his, compiled together to create a wonderful documentary um, directed by Raoul Peck. Um, This documentary uh, was nominated for an Academy Award. It was up against, like, the 13th um, by Ava DuVernay um, and also the O.J. Simpson story, I think, which won the Oscar for that evening. Uh, Correct me if I am wrong on that. But um, this film was based on um, a book that he was called, that he was writing that was called Remember This House. Um, And it is one that he wanted to document the lives of his friends who were activists, movers and shakers during the civil rights movement, prominent names, Megger Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King. So with that said, what did we pair with this wonderful 
wonderful documentary. So with this documentary, <laughs> um, in honor of James Baldwin. And his life in Petty. In Petty. <laughs> we decided that we were going to make crepes. Yes, our little version of crepes. Now, I used to make crepes when I was in college living on my own I think it was like the cheap and easiest thing for me to make and eat um but for some reason I failed to forget how difficult it was <laughs> to make it I also am a bad cook you are not a bad cook we it, ate it it was delicious it came out we had good. some blueberries some strawberries and some mascarpone <laughs> which was delicious that was created by chef Denis. yeah we'll post the all the things in our Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Yes. Follow, was... subscribe, comment, like. Thank you. Thank you. And feel free to offer any other recipes that you think that we would love just to try out. Maybe we can try them out for a future. Yes. Future shows. So uh, let's talk about this movie. I am not your Negro. What did you? What did you think? Let's. Uh... This is really hard for me because I feel like this is not a story that I am authorized to tell. Mm. So I felt like a very much like an outsider first because I'm really not born in America. Mm-hmm. I'm born in the Philippines. Shout out to the homies back home. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> so, you know, we experienced our own type of racism our own type of oppression Mm -hmm. and that's a whole different story Mm -hmm. so you know knowing the story what really happened during the civil rights movement was not really something that i've studied in history books Mm -hmm. you've probably browsed upon it or touched upon it in school but we also had our issues of our own but the sentiment and the struggle of the people I think it's the same. Mm. Many people have lost their lives. Um, Freedom is not really free. And it's always about oppression. Mm. And, you know, somebody always has to be a catalyst for movement. People are always not heard. Um, And it's just hard to bear because, you know, you're put in this country all together you should leave you know we're all considered americans and yet other people think that they're more superior than others Mm. like mr baldwin said my ancestor did not choose to be in this country we were forced to be here Mm -hmm. so that really struck a chord in me and among other things but that's just how i felt i felt like i was an outsider watching you know a group of people being mistreated I don't know them but I feel what they're going mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. I've seen it before I might have not experienced it the same um, intensity as them but from history in my country it was almost the same mm. and it's just really sad this movie um, like we said is based on James Baldwin's life and James Baldwin Um, was one of the most prolific writers and speakers to ever walk the face of this earth. Yeah, very eloquent. Yes. Born and raised in in New York City. He was born in Harlem. Very smart. Very smart. And um, 
at the young age decided that he wanted to leave the United States because it was just too much shit that was happening. And he just felt like he should just go and experience the world elsewhere if he was going to have to be bothered with what was happening in the United States and found himself in France. Mm -hmm. And he remained in France for about like a decade or so. And Mm -hmm. what brought him back, um, what brought him back home was reading about Dorothy Counts in 1955. She was a 15 year old student who um, was the first black student to attend Um, Harding High School in Charlotte, North Carolina. And upon witnessing this, he said that he could no longer just simply uh, sit around Paris discussing the Algerian and Black American problem. He had to return home. He needed to um, be there where everybody was paying their dues and it was time that he went home and paid his. And uh, so that is that was the biggest thing I think for him to like thrust him into this meeting of three of the most uh, prominent and well-known civil rights activists Mm -hmm. in his life. He, he walked with them. He talked with them. He was, he was friends. He partied with these people. You know, they, they were really, he knew them. He knew them on a, on a, on a brother, familial level. level. Yeah. And um, so to watch each one of those men be murdered mm-hmm. um, was one that he, it was something that he knew that he needed to, to discuss, that he needed to write down eventually. Yeah. And um, so he thought that he would be able to do this piece, remember remember this house, um, in honor to them. Unfortunately, it was not completed. Um, but fortunately, yes, <laughs> Mr. Peck was able to get with the Baldwin family and get all of the all of the manuscripts and other pieces and this this particular film did an amazing thing where it was able to splice what was happening during the 60s and the 70s and what is happening now yeah. in America and things it, ain't changed much it's very surprising. Well, nah, I don't know. It's just, it's unfortunate that it's still the same. Mm-hmm. Like, you would see this clips from the 60s and then clips from, like, 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. It's the same bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, men, women being killed and detained, being hurt because they they were just trying to live their lives. Right. They were trying to fight for, well, the civil rights movement. They were trying to fight for, you know, their own rights mm-hmm. and equality. Mm-hmm. And for the recent ones, it's just, they were just there, man. They were living their life. Right. Let them be. Right. So the film opens up with James Baldwin sitting uh, on the on the Dick Cavett show during uh, the 60s. It was like 1968. And he was brought on to basically talk about the quote-unquote black problem. Mm -hmm. And um, Dick Cavett wanted to know, why aren't the Negroes more optimistic? They're in sports. They're in politics. They're even... Television. They're even in television doing all the commercials. (laughs) Why aren't they happy? 
with where they are in life. And so James Baldwin goes in and starts telling them, you know, they're not happy. They're not optimistic. We are dealing with this bullshit society. Paraphrase, because he didn't say that. He said it so much more eloquently. Yeah. But um, he was just basically saying, we can't move on until you all move out of our way, basically. Yeah. (laughs) That it all boils down to is that in order for black men to be the men that they want to be in life, the obstacles that white people in power were setting up for them was too too much and needed to be bulldozed over and needed to be accepted that the history of the country was one that was built on the backs of these black people, the blood of these black people. Mm-hmm. And then to watch this country dismantle who they are, you know, by killing them in the streets, preventing them from voting, preventing them to have a right to education, preventing them to have the basic necessities and rights that everyone else who was not black had in this country. And that is why they were not more optimistic. Yeah. This movie... It really, it strikes me, like, very much. I was not even, like, able to probably process this movie completely. Mm-hmm. I probably would have to rewatch it multiple times, and every time I probably have watched it, I would probably feel even worse than the last time. It would make you feel angry. It would make you feel resentful. Mm. It would really make you hate the white man. Mm. But he said that... He doesn't think that the white man is evil. It's just that there's a lot of ignorance that has been forced upon it because they can't, they were not able to see the struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, they were always separated. And while they were, while they, they were on, you know, living their lives, everybody else is like in the plantation doing all the work for them. And then, so, you know, every generation upon generation, those kids don't see what's going on. They're just like, oh, you know, I guess this is what we have to do now. And that passive passivity of not doing anything contributes to this unending cycle. Meaning, meaning, are you talking about the white children are thinking this? Yes. And that they just have to continue on with what their, what their parents and their parents were doing. Like, and the apathy. Um, of these white families Mm -hmm. leads to ignorance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he said, yeah. It leads to ignorance and then just makes the separation even more. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he said he he had this friend. They would meet up in school, but she never really saw what happened to him once he steps out of that door Mm -hmm. in school. Like, Mm -hmm. they never walked together. He like that friend never saw never saw him go home, never saw the life that he lived. Mm-hmm. N- never, you know, they never have really any interaction. So how can you change something if you never saw what right. really happened? Right. And if you're not informed of mm-hmm. what is really happening, mm-hmm. and that leads to he said apathy because mm-hmm. they're just like, oh, what are they complaining about? You know, 
Why did why are they always, you know, oh we're you know, we're being oppressed, we're being mistreated. But you don't know what's going on. I don't think it was totally them not knowing because I mean they are the ones that are doing it, right? So yeah. I think it was more of the ignorance behind it of not acknowledging it. True. As you know, as you know, just basically saying like this is how life is, you know? This is just how it is. You 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 do these things mm-hmm. in order to get somewhere. You know, we prevent you from doing these things because it's based out of a place of fear. We don't want you to gain more power than you than you need to have, which is none. You know, it's just a thing of what will I be able to leave my children speaking as, you know, someone who's coming from the white side, mm-hmm. you know, if if this black person gets it gets it first you know if they are able to get the education and the jobs and all of these things what am I going to have for myself what am I going to have for my family and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth you know because their mindset is in a general like um, generational wealth mindset of them being able to pass things down you know you have people who say you know this house was owned by my great grandmother this is old money they have that old money and we have a president that's sitting in the office because of that old money you know like that is given to him in order for him to be able to build up an empire Mm -hmm. and so there that fear of that ability to create that for themselves being quote unquote taken away, mm-hmm. I think is what driven continued to drive and continues to drive yes. that type of mindset of we have to keep everyone as far back as possible, mm-hmm. but make it seem as if it's not us, yeah, that this is just the way the world works, and what Baldwin is able to articulate so clearly and eloquently is the frustration that black people have in trying to maintain and trying to move forward and trying to gain all of those things for their own family. Mm -hmm. And um, he talked about, you know, the anger that white men have that is based in um, fear. Fear. But the anger that black men have is based in rage. Is based in the rage of the white man not moving out of the way. Mm-hmm. That I just want you to move out of the way and move out of my children's way so that we can be able to live a life. Yeah. Right? So his relationships with these three men, um, and how he was able to, you know, navigate those spaces with them because uh James Baldwin uh, has always stated, even in, in when he wrote in Fire Next Time, about how, you know, he could not be a part of the church because mm. he saw it as a place of hypocrisy, yeah. um, a contradictory place. You know, he grew up in the church. He was a preacher, like a child preacher for for a minute. I can see that. And yeah, I mean, he has the he has had the gift. Lick it a time. <laughs> but he. Um, he realized that, oh, you know, I don't want to be a part of this racist construct, you know, that's keeping black people down, that's keeping homosexuals from being able to gather and be themselves and and all different kinds of things that you use, that Christianity was used as a, as a power, mm-hmm. you know, as to maintain power. 
And then his other issues with like different organizations such as the NAACP that was basically um, in the North, you had the NAACP as this, this organization that was trying to have its own class structure within yeah. itself. So, you know, he saw that as an issue and he also saw the Black Panther Party as an issue because he just felt like all white people are not evil. Yeah, it's like extremes. Right. There was nothing in between. And, you know, him being um, a gay man, you know, it's like, where would I fit in? I don't in fit anywhere. This? I don't fit in all this. Let me go to Perry. And... <laughs> deuces and i don't blame them so you want to go somewhere where you feel like you're more free and that was the thing you know you saw it with him you saw it with you know a lot of black people like josephine baker who felt more at home there than they did in their own country because their own country did not see them as people as people i think one of the most striking things that he talked about was how this country wasn't like made for us that it that even though we helped build this this country that they got to a point where they didn't need us any longer because you know slavery was over yeah so money couldn't be made that way they got nowhere to put so these people we're still here Mm -hmm. And having to create methods in order to con- continue to control us, which is the creation of Jim Crow laws mm. and having to go through the Jim Crow law era, during this, especially during the Civil Rights Movement, where those laws were, you know, met with um, restriction, with met with resistance of saying, you know, no longer are we not going to go and sit at the counter and eat and drink from Mm -hmm. the same water fountains and, you know, not vote. Like, we are deserving of all of these things. It amazes me, you know, that... If you can only see our faces. (laughs) (laughs) Like, while we do this, it's it's utterly disappointing and I'm really disgusted. But that's why we do these things to maybe help enlighten at least one person then i think we've done our job here yes um yeah another thing that struck me like from where you were going like you know he i don't want to misquote him because he really and you know puts words into like into a sentence that would make you feel and think and act yes so basically the gist of it all as a as a little asian girl would say it like you were born in this country that you feel like you, you know you owe you owe something to it mm-hmm. but the end at the but at the end of it all this country you realize this country has no place for you this country is not accepting of you mm-hmm. and that really struck me the most cuz it's still the same thing that's happening today whatever the struggle is during the civil rights movement it might not be as, you know, as a parent, like, oh, you know, we're fighting to vote. Um, it's in the air. It's being practiced by people. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, like, if your private, if white people's private self is just the same as their public self, mm. I think 
there would be like more enlightenment for people then we see oh you know racism is still here mm -hmm. that we are still dealing with these issues and we have a long way to go but you know people pretend that there's something that they're not especially if they're outside mm -hmm. you know you don't want to offend people you know people are always telling me oh people are easily offended these days this mm -hmm. and that but why though because there's a reason because mm -hmm. people know that you don't look to people the same way and you know it's being passed into generations to generation and i think not just being you know black as, as a person of color it almost terrifies you it's terrifying that's what he said to james baldwin he was like i fled to a different country because i fear for my life mm -hmm. you know and it's the same thing like as a person of color it would terrify you to raise a child here because you know everybody thinks that this is america the land of you know the promised land this and that but hidden in all of those is this like lie mm -hmm. and it's this you know not really secret but it's just this disgusting reality mm -hmm. of what is really happening mm -hmm. so the discrimination and the injustice of what people of color would experience is unimaginable. Right. In regards to his relationship with with those men, um, they showed them at different points, uh, in particular with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Um, meeting on a television show and they are not sitting together because Martin and Malcolm only met once in their entire life and it was a private conversation that they had so on this television show they're coming at separate times talking on the issues mm -hmm. of black people and um, you know Malcolm has his standpoint and then Martin comes in um, and is questioned about um, you know basically Malcolm saying that Martin is basically, you know, for the white people. Calling him soft. Calling him soft. <laughs> and, you know, you know, having this whole, like, love movement mm -hmm. stance. And uh, Martin Luther King having to, you know, tell him, you know, like, you know, I'm coming in from a, I'm coming in with love because that's the, that's the only means that I know how to, to operate. Mm-hmm. And then you're having, you know, Baldwin that to me feels like he's like standing in between these he's two people. He's kind of like a mediator almost. <laughs> and, and, and taking their words and, you know, like blending them together because one without the other would not have worked. Yeah. You know, that he wanted to write this, this book. Um, I think he, he, he's quoted as saying he wanted to write this book because he wanted to show how they bang against each other and reveal that one another um, needed the other, other, the other in their life, you know, to move forward. Yeah, it's kind of like Malcolm is like a, like a, like a train, a bullet train, zooming in, and and you know, Martin Luther King is that tree, in like outside of the train that's just passing through the wind, but they can't do without each other. Mm -hmm. And I think you know they're up, they're contradict, they have contradicting views. But it's all for the same goal. And he's even stated as that when Malcolm died, it was up to Martin to basically pick up where he left off. Where he left off. Because, you know, there was this transition that happened later in Malcolm's life after he left 
the Nation of Islam, mm-hmm. where he was starting to have a, a better sense of things of where, what what it was for white people to actually be allies in the struggle that he was struggling with and and where he may have been wrong in some stances and what he needed to push for it mm-hmm. in, in others. And, and after his passing, um, you know, Malcolm definitely had to, Martin had to, you know, pick up mm-hmm. where he left off. And I think that's what happened when Megger Evers died then you had these two men who were like having to pick up the steam of what that man was working and yeah. you know the, yeah, the, the the battle the fight must continue right and and it still continues to this day literally today yeah we are still dealing with the same issues if if not more um definitely not less um and one particular part I thought was interesting was when James Baldwin was talking about Bobby Kennedy and the statement of how maybe in 40 years there would be a black president. Oh. <laughs> and then his response was like, you just came on. Like, we've been here for 400 years, Bobby mm-hmm. Kennedy. And you telling us if we're a good boy, maybe one of us can become the president of the United States. In 40 years. In 40 years. And I was just like, wow. That just spoke to me about, like, privilege Mm -hmm. and just plain ignorance. Mm -hmm. That you really look at these people as very inferior to you. Even when you're thinking that you're helping them. Yeah. When you're trying to to consider yourself like, oh, I'm an ally. Mm -hmm. Are you really? You know? Does what, like, what you're doing, what you're saying is really an act of you know, helping, or is it just patronizing these right. people? And when he said that, I'm like, he's absolutely right, you know? If we're a good boy, like, what is that? Mm-hmm. What is this? I remember being in school, and, you know, you're hearing, like, you know, maybe one day one of you all could be, you know, president of the United States. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, ain't nothing but white people. Like, you know, it wasn't something that, yeah. My brain could conceive at such a young age because of what I had been shown. You know, you're looking at this, you know, a picture of nothing but white men listed as presidents. And you're like, oh, somebody that looks like me can be up there. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and it is not of a place of do we, you know, get the permission it is in a place of like this is not going to be allowed because you you know you don't want us there how could this be possible Mm -hmm. and you know i think that's what james baldwin was getting at of like oh you mean we have to do these things and this is the time stamp Mm -hmm. not not you know after your brother is done serving as president Mm -hmm. that there's a possibility that someone could come in but 40 years did it really take 40 years for President Obama to be president? I think it was. I think it, from that, probably from when he made that statement. Shout out. Let us know. Yeah. President I like Obama, how... The 2000... <laughs> how long did it take for you to become president? 2008. If it was, like, 1968, then, yeah. Like, 
probably literally 40 years if it was 1968 when he said it. President Obama was like, I'm going to make this happen. (laughs) (laughs) He was on a mission. Mark my words. He heard this in school someday, and he was like, I'm going to be that. That's going to be me. (laughs) And he did that. He did that. We thank you for doing that. Um, Was there anything else in this movie that stood out to you? When, When he said that humanism is a lie. Why did that one stand out to you? Because it's just like it bared so much weight. Like, yeah, if if you really are, like what you said, a person of God, if you really are conscientious of what life is, mm-hmm. then you won't kill these people. Mm-hmm. I know it's simple. And it's like, oh, it's, you know, what are it, and it can be expounded in multitude of ways, but in the basic sense, like, black people felt that it's all lies. You know, he was, he, I think he even compared it to, like, when a space shuttle program was in Mars or something like that, mm-hmm. that it's only the white man was, like, concerned of all of that. Hmm. like fanciness Mm -hmm. because why would we be concerned of that we're we're trying to be alive here on earth Mm -hmm. why we got to be concerned about mars right like why we're we're being killed here we're being oppressed i might not see my brother my sister my aunt my mom my dad my cousin tomorrow who cares about that satellite Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you flew in mars so yeah we don't think you're we you we felt that us being called humans are are just a term it's a lie and that really struck me because you know there are certain groups here in the united states that are driven by religion Mm -hmm. and yet what they do is not very religious Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so just you know coming from that and you know him him also being a gay man and he didn't feel be you know that he belonged really in in church kind of like tied it all for me together Mm -hmm. like oh you know that's that's why he didn't really felt comfortable being here i think it says a lot in regards to like the atonement of this of the sin of the country that people have such a hard reckoning Mm -hmm. with um because they just want black people to get over it. You know, slavery, that was so long ago. Why are we still mm. talking about it? You know, even down to the point where we'll alter the the history books that the children learn from and call them instead of slaves, they were just indentured servants. You know, to the wording of how we don't want to take responsibility of what it is that we have done to black people in this country. Mm-hmm. Their total disregard for it. And in this year of 2020, we're still dealing with this same shit that we have dealt from the first time we set our feet on this on this ground of this country. Not by choice. Not by choice. Not by choice. Yeah. So, you know, how is it that you know, we could easily forget something that we're continuously dealing with. It's impossible. One of the things that also spoke out about this movie is 
how important language is about you know what those words mean just something as simple as the conversation at the start of the movie with Dick Cavett and asking asking him why aren't black people more optimistic mm-hmm. you know just the just the pairing of those words that arrangement of that sentence is a lot more heavy than I think that he thought it was to be intended. You know, I think it's this idea of like, you know, the whole, why don't you get over it? It, You know, and you just want people like, oh, you know, that's all we had to do. Just get over it. Just forget it. Oh, okay. Then that means racism is gone. Just like that. We're done. Yeah. You know, we're just going to forget about my family has died of this. Mm -hmm. My I didn't go to school. My mom didn't go to school for this. Just like that. Okay. It's like they can never, they can never see the black man's side because they never really experienced it. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to experience mm-hmm. it. They're not willing to see it. Mm-hmm. So I think he said there, you know, nothing, if nothing that is faced, if, if you don't face what is the reality, it cannot be changed. Mm-hmm. So, and I think we're still avoiding that to this day. You know, it's like, oh, that's that's beyond me. That has happened, like you said, centuries ago. Centuries ago. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Another part in the movie um, that I thought was good was the mention of Lorraine Hansberry. She was a playwright. Um, she was in a meeting with Bobby Kennedy (laughs) and they're discussing you know desegregation of schools and possibly him escorting the student to the school that you know the spitting and all the name calling and everything that they were doing to these children who was desegregating these schools that if he was present that it would be seen as it happening to the nation yeah and not just this child he's an ally you know right it's it's a it's a step to unification. Mm-hmm. But what did he say? But what she did was mm-hmm. basically just smiled. And James Baldwin said that if that ever happened, you know, that he was glad that she was not smiling at him mm-hmm. because he knew that that smile was not one of like, oh, what a what a wonderful idea. I wish I had thought of it. It was you must be out of your rabbit ass mind. To think that just because you are there, that it is seen as them spitting on the nation rather than them actually spitting on the nation because this child is there Mm -hmm. and not seeing that that child is a representation of the nation that you that you feel like you only represent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she got her behind up out of that meeting with the quickness. She got up and she left out. And, you know, it is that her getting up just basically says this meeting was a waste of time. Yeah. You just really do not get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's time for me to, to, to exit stage left. And unfortunately, you know, with all of the the things that have happened that, you know, you still have people who claim to be allies have this mindset of if we're just patient you know, or if I if I stand with you and represent you rather than, you know, you doing, you being mm-hmm. what we need to look to and look, you know, look at as 
what is going on with this country and let me take center stage that everything will work out and it reminded me of slave how slave narratives are mm-hmm. when you're reading a slave narrative um there's always um a a, a forward in the beginning of the book mm-hmm. that is written by a white person to say I know this person who just wrote this and what they're saying is true because that was the only way to prove that what the person was getting ready to say and what they suffered through was actually the thing that happened. And this Mm -hmm. is something that still continues to this day of like having to have that witness, you know, having to have that, that videotape, because if there's no videotape, it never happened. It never happened. You must have done something in order to provoke that police officer to, you know, to put you in put such you a down. horrible manner and beat you up and to you can't Shoot see you. or kill you. It must be your fault. So if there's no proof, there's no eyewitness, there's no one that can speak ahead, you know, it's then it the, never happens. And it's always the black man's fault. Right. So um, wrapping up, I think that this movie is probably going to be for me an instant classic mm-hmm. and one that I would have in my library that I would want to like pull out every once in a while um, but one thing that I did have an issue with was the lack of um, discussion on yes. James Baldwin's sexuality yes. he is an openly gay man as you said <laughs> yes he was an openly gay man um, one of the first openly gay writers during that time you black know gay black gay writers and that that is huge in itself yeah <laughs> to be to be openly black and gay um well not openly openly black but openly <laughs> you can see the blackness were openly gay <laughs> gay writers um i really wish that they dived more into that because i mean there was he never that was something that he did not hide yeah when he said that men don't really kiss in america mm. I, I thought it's going to be the start of, you know, oh, maybe now we're going to be unfolding mm-hmm. his journey as, you know, a gay black man. Mm-hmm. But it kind of started and ended there. I think that was more so in regards to the stereotyping of black people in cinema, mm-hmm. in television, and how it has become more concrete um, in later years of that stereotype that's being played out um fortunately we're in we're in a in an era now that we're seeing this change of television and and movies because james baldwin was like he was like a movie fiend he loved Mm -hmm. going to the movies and you know that's one thing that he spoke on and so i think he would probably be somewhat bit amazed and proud to see where television is Oh yeah. There's a show that's called Queer Eye. (laughs) There's there's Or people like Lena Waithe who is, you know, um treading the path with shows like The Shy and um being in uh uh one who wrote uh the winning episode from Master of None where she plays a character who comes out to her mom and they they do it over stages of Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and um of how that relationship grows together mm-hmm. with her mom getting a better understanding of who her daughter is. 
Um, that was an amazing episode. If you have not seen it, go to Netflix and watch just that one episode. You don't need to watch anything else. <laughs> the show is so good. Um, and you have other people who are paving their way uh, in that regards. And so I really wish that they had talked more about, you know, James Baldwin in that light uh, and, and the whole person of, that he is and what contributed to his writing because a lot of his stories i mean giovanni's room is one of his most well-known stories that he's written that deals with the relationship between two gay men so um but outside of that little (laughs) but large (laughs) facts that wasn't you know really discussed in the movie I think it did an amazing job to talk about black people in America. Yeah, it would make you feel a lot of things. I I don't think I can even describe. There are sometimes no words to describe how you feel when mm-hmm. you see these things. And I think it's just appropriate not to even describe it. You just have to see it. Yeah. It's available in Prime. If you have Prime, just go see it. If you don't, it's only two ninety nine. It's three dollars. It's three dollars. <laughs> you can you can watch that. You, so it's pandemic. You got nothing else to do. What you gonna do? Go ahead and educate yourself. Yeah, that's true. And then join us in a movement. <laughs> Let's start this revolution. <laughs> Let's burn this city down. <laughs> well, not really, but you know, speak for yourself. No, <laughs> just just having people know about this having less ignorant people in this country would make a lot of difference Mm -hmm. because that's the only thing you really need to know if you're not ignorant you'll be more open-minded you're going to be more acceptance of people that are not like you Mm -hmm. and you would be less to judge and you won't see color at all it won't even matter but it'll take a long time and until that i want you to see the color i want you to see us I want you to understand why we are here, what the struggle is all about, because um, to not see color in this time period and what we're going means that you do not see us. And so it is really important um, that you see us because we'll make you see us. We'll make it known. We're, We're here. We're here. And on that note, we say thank you for joining us. Yes. Until next time. In tiny bites, bites, bites. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, see you on the podcast. Yep. There's going to be more. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.